Genesis Church, it's so good to be here with all of you, whether you are in the room or tuning in from your living room. We're glad that you're here. And I just want to say this, our goal is the same no matter where you are. We want to worship Jesus for who he is, for what he has done. And we want to do that through the songs that we sing. We want to do that in the way that we study his word. And we want to do that in the way that we care for one another. And so if you're not currently connected to Genesis Church, whether you're new here or you're tuning in online, let us know how we can get you connected to the life of this church because we would love uh, to minister to you. And I know many of you tuning in online, you want to be here. You're sad that you can't join us. Maybe health doesn't permit it or you're just a little anxious about social gatherings. It is okay. We're ready when you are, but let us know how we can walk alongside you right now. Uh, I'm going to take a moment to pray, and then we're going to jump in together. So would you pray with me? Uh, Father in heaven, thank you for your goodness to us. Uh, you, are, you are so good to us, and, and, and your, your word tells us all about your love for each and every one of us, the way you care for us. Holy Spirit, we, we're thankful that, that you are always with us, and, and I pray, I invite you here this morning, um, as, as we open up your word, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts uh, that are soft and tender? Would you help us to apply what we learn to our everyday lives so that we can make the name of Jesus greater in all that we do so that we can draw people to you, Jesus? That's our goal. We love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, is anybody else a little bummed that the Olympics aren't starting this week? And our family, like we turn watching the Olympics into an Olympic sport. I mean, we have so much fun. And this year it was going to be really special because our son, Braun, his birthday was on opening ceremonies, his 10th birthday. So he's been telling people, my 10th birthday is on the day that the Olympics start. And we've had to help him understand, well, not this year. So sorry, buddy. We're bummed with you. And that's just kind of the way the year has been, right? There's been so many different things that have been canceled. I mean, funerals have been different this year. Weddings have been canceled and postponed. Prom and, and graduation ceremonies have been suspended for a while. It has just been, been really strange. And then other things that we enjoy, fun events like March Madness. Remember that when March Madness was canceled? Like the world was coming to an end. The Indy 500 postponed. Like this has never, ever, ever happened before. It's just a bummer. But there is one event that is slated to take place later this year that is guaranteed to happen no matter what. It would be illegal to cancel. And uh, it's shaping up to be quite the spectacle. Of course, I'm talking about the election, right? I mean, we, I see people nodding like, oh man, here we go. And it's easy to want to laugh it off. It's easy to get mad and just, oh, I don't want to have to deal with it. But here's what's true. It really isn't a laughing matter. Because there are serious issues that are on the table that need to be addressed and they need to be resolved. Things like the value and the sanctity of human life, the health and well-being of others, racial reconciliation among all people, respect for the governing authorities, our economy, and the healing of our nation and unity for all of us together. And I see people not along. Those are very important things. The problem in an election year is all of those things are politicized on all sides. This side and this side and this side and, and this side. And, and here's the problem for those of us that follow Jesus, that believe that the Bible is God's word. All of those things are rooted in things like life and love and peace and equality and unity. All of those are biblical principles. But this year and every political year, what happens? Those things are politicized. And when something becomes politicized, what happens? Well, it, it gets divisive immediately. And, and everything ends up in an argument. And if you don't believe me, just go try to have a civil conversation with somebody on any one of those topics this week. 
And so like many of you, I just, I cringe when I think about the political circus that we're all going to have to endure this fall. It's, I'm just not looking forward to it. But I want you to imagine that one night you sit down to watch one of the nationally televised debates between the two front runners, okay? And it's time for the rebuttals. They're going back and forth, back and forth. What would you do if you heard one of the candidates, the candidate that you are likely to vote for, what would you do if they said something like this? Actually, you know, my opponent makes a really good point here. And uh, I think this is a good time for me to say, I am supporting them. I am going to vote for them. I'm behind their party 100%. Don't even vote for me. Just vote for them. Can you imagine? The chances of that actually happening are like a snowball's chance on a hot July day. It just is never, ever, ever going to happen in the political realm. But today, we're going to look at a story from the New Testament where a very similar situation plays out. Okay? And what we're going to learn from this situation, some of us, this is going to be a very familiar story. You're going to know the end of it before I get there. But in this particular story, we got to pay really close attention because there is a key to teach us how to shape and reshape our lives when it comes to living on mission for God and more specifically for Jesus. And I don't want to oversell this, okay? But I want you to think about this. It has implications in every single realm of life, whether you're a man or a woman, a husband or a wife, a parent or a child, a student or a teacher, uh, an employer or an employee, a friend, a neighbor, or a stranger to others. Every aspect of life is affected, especially for those of us that follow Jesus. And so if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to join us and turn to John chapter 3 in the New Testament. We're going to be in the Gospel of John today. And for the last few weeks, we've been looking at the early part of Jesus's ministry. Okay, and, and what we've learned so far is that Jesus is on the move. His disciples are getting to know him. Okay, and the last two weeks we've been talking about how Jesus traveled with his disciples to Jerusalem for Passover for the very first time. And after he left Jerusalem, something really interesting started happening in Israel. Two huge movements started up, okay? And people started to think of these movements as Jesus versus the other guy. That's the, they were labeling Jesus like there's this guy and there's that guy. But here's what's really interesting about this. This other guy did not see it that way. The other guy was actually Jesus's cousin. His name is John. You've probably heard of him refer, uh, referred to before as John the Baptist. And everybody else was billing it as Jesus versus the other guy. But John's like, well, I don't really see it that way. But here's why people thought of it like this. John the Baptist, it's hard for us to understand how massive his impact was, how many people were coming to follow him. But in the gospel of Mark, we learn this about John's following. Mark 1, 5 says this, the whole Judean countryside, think about this, and all the people of Jerusalem, this is the, the, the capital of the country, right? All the people of Jerusalem went out to him. People from far and wide, young and old, rich and poor, everybody was going to see who John was and what he was doing and what he had to say. They were changing their lives based on his teaching. And by the way, you know what he was teaching? It really wasn't a very popular message. Admit that you're a sinner, repent of your sins, and turn back to God. So it's not a popular message, but it was catching, it was catching on. So that brings us to where we are in our story today. In John chapter 3, we're going to pick it up in verse 22, and it says this, after this. Now pause right here. Don't, don't read the rest of this stuff yet. After this. Well, after what? 
Well, this is what we've been talking about for the last two weeks. After Jesus traveled to Jerusalem for the very first time with his disciples, okay? After that, everything else that we're getting ready to read happened. After that, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, for what it's worth, this is interesting. Scholars believe that this was taking place about four or five months into Jesus's ministry. That's pretty early on, right? But it was apparently enough time for him to start to get some grassroots support. And I want you to think, I want you to think about what happened in those four to five months. In those four to five months, Jesus went to a, a private wedding and he performed his first miracle and changed water into wine. So some people knew, man, this guy's special. But then when he was in Jerusalem, this is what we studied the last two weeks, when he was in Jerusalem, he cleared the temple. He made a scene and people thought, man, this guy is passionate about some things. I'm curious about him. And then John tells us, the gospel of John tells us he went and did miracles, wonders, and signs. And so people are like, this guy's different. And last week we learned about a man named Nicodemus who was a powerful, influential Jewish leader who had come to Jesus asking questions. So when you think about it, four or five months, you can get a pretty strong following going. And that's what we st see starting to take place here in Jesus's life. And now we learn that Jesus and his disciples are going and they're baptizing not far away from where John the Baptist and his disciples are baptizing. So there's these two big movements and they're all kind of about the same thing. People are coming to know God. They're finding their way back to God. And you would think if you were one of John's followers, you're like, this is amazing. Not only are we doing this, but these other people are doing this as well. But as we humans often do, somebody somewhere took a biblical issue and said, well, maybe we could make this political. Look at verse 25. It says, an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. Now, we don't know who this certain Jew is, but some believe that it could have been this man, Nicodemus, this powerful, influential leader who had talked to Jesus, and now he's coming to talk to John's disciples. And we don't know who he was for sure, but I think the conversation probably went something like this. So, I need to know where your teacher stands on these really important issues like ceremonial washing and baptism because I'm looking to cast my vote. And I'm either going to vote for you or I'm going to vote for the guy right over there. And if you're one of John's followers, wouldn't it be easy to be kind of frustrated and a little flustered? Like, whoa, John's always been the top dog. Like, this is an issue. We got to do something about this. And so they went and they, they brought this to John. John's followers said, hey, well, we got to do something about this. Look at verse 26. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man that was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one that you have testified about, Look, he's baptizing too, and everyone's going out to him. Now put yourself in the story. Imagine that you're one of these guys. Can you hear the desperation in their voices? Like, hey, John, I don't want to freak out over this, but this is kind of a big deal. You need to speak up because everybody's going over to that other guy. He's getting all the momentum. He's getting all the media attention. What are we going to do? This is a PR nightmare, John. This isn't necessarily what I signed up for. Now, before we look at what happens next, I want to invite all of us to jump into this story, okay? I want you to put yourself here in your everyday life. I want you to think about this. How many times recently have you found yourself trying to advance your cause or make your point? 
How many times are you trying to sway someone's opinion, defend your turf, or win an argument over something that you are really, really passionate about? It is important to you. Now, we all do this, and this is not a bad thing, okay? It is very good for us to have informed opinions. It is good for us to have safe places to debate and have conversations and discussions. But have you ever stopped to check your heart and to check your motivation? I don't, I don't know about you. I, I don't stop. I just get emotional about these things. But why are you passionate about these things in the first place? Why do you want your side to come out on top? And by the way, why doesn't everybody see things the way you do? And we could list off all these reasons of why this is. But I think, you know, if we were honest, don't we just want the things we're passionate about to succeed? We want our voice to be heard. And, and we want to know that we're behind things that are going to change the world to be a better place. And those are all legit reasons to get behind something. These are important things to, to uh, ways to express your faith. But I bet if you're like me more often than we care to admit, we get really passionate about these things because deep down, we're really gunning for number one, aren't we? We want to win. We don't want second place. We don't want an honorable mention. We want our agenda to win the day. We want all the competition to know we're better and here's why. We don't want there to be any questions about it because when it's all said and done, winning is the name of the game. We learned this from a very early age. We do not want to lose market share to our competitors and we don't want to miss out on opportunities for ourselves or for our families or for our businesses. And so what do we do? Well, we draw up the battle lines. We raise our voices. We will write people off or we will light them up with our words, depending on the mood that we're on in that, on, that, on that day, right? We will write an Instagram story about it. We'll tweet about it. Or if you're like my friend Paul Mumal, who's a little older, he likes to put it on MySpace, hoping that that's going to change the world, right? We just want our voice to be heard. And as I read this very familiar story from John chapter three this week, as I've studied it over and over again, I think this is where John's disciples are. They're passionate. They're emotional. And we get this, right? If we were honest, don't we find ourselves here a lot in this churning vortex of this media-driven world that we're exposed to all the time? Everybody's got to have a voice and you got to know where you're going to stand and you don't want to lose, right? Well, I hope you feel the tension. I know you do. It's real. And so what are we going to do about it? Well, I want you to pay very close attention to what happens next. If you're familiar with the story, don't jump to the end yet. Because what we're going to see, we're going to learn a key to shaping or reshaping, constantly reshaping how we view and pursue anything in life that is valuable to us. Look at what happens in verse 27. John's disciples come to him and say, we got a problem on our hands. This other guy, everybody's going out to him. John says this, to this John replied, a person can receive only what is given to them from heaven. So right away, John says, hey, by the way, boys, anything that you and I have that's worth anything has come from God first. So let's remember that. He starts there and then he says this, you yourselves can testify. I have said, I am not the Messiah. I have been sent ahead of him. Now this is going to sound crazy, but here John is referencing a 700 year old prophecy in the Hebrew scriptures that said that there would be someone that would come before the Messiah to point everyone to him. And John is saying, that's me. Now, can you imagine 
what it would be like to know that God had said, your life, I've got a very specific plan for you. I'm going to have prophets write about it. And people are going to know about you before, during, and after you live. Can you imagine what that would be like? Now, I'm going to let you in on the dark side of my heart, okay? If that were me, I would have a really hard time staying humble. Because if I knew that, if I was in the history books before I was ever born, and I knew that people were coming from far and wide to hear from me, and they were changing their lives, doing what I asked them to do, I'd have a hard time not getting a big head, right? And most of us would, because we live in a world that glorifies and even deifies that type of celebrity. We live in a world where everyone is constantly trying to make a name for ourselves. We want everybody to know who we are. We want everybody to know what we're about. We want to be able to do whatever we want. We want people to want to be like us. That is the goal in the world that we live in. And apparently, that pressure, that's not new to 2020. That was what John was feeling 2,000 years ago. And we're going to get to see how he responds to this pressure. Because his followers were saying, John, you got to speak up. you got to step up. We cannot let this opportunity pass us by. And John, quickly... And carefully reminds his disciples, hey, I just want you to know, my goal in life has never been to climb to the top. And then, and then to drive his point home, he shares an analogy that seems out of place. It's familiar. You'll get it, but it seems out of place. Have you ever had an uncle at a, like a family gathering that is trying to describe something to you and he uses a weird analogy and you're like, bro, I don't even know where you're going right now. Pay attention because it's kind of where John seems to go. He says this, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. If I'm one of John's followers, I'm like, okay, there's a wedding somewhere, but what about the issue of the other guy? This seems out of place to us, but here's what's fascinating. When John was talking to his Jewish audience, they would have thought, oh, I know what you're talking about. In the Jewish Old Testament scriptures, there's this beautiful analogy of a wedding where God is the groom and his people are the bride. And John says, hey, I just want all of you to know I'm just the best man at the wedding. My job is to make sure that you're, he's getting all the glory and attention he needs. I'm just gonna fade away off into the distance. That's what any good best man would do, right? Now, it, it, it just so happens that this week I'm performing a wedding for a family member. So excited for the wedding. And in, in the weeks leading up to this wedding, I have talked to the bride and the groom on several occasions. But you know who I haven't talked to yet once? I have not called the best man. You know why? Because all I need him to do is show up on time. I need him to make sure that the groom doesn't run away. I need him to keep the rings in his pocket to not faint and to stand there and look pretty. That is the role of any best man in a wedding, right? Because any good best man knows, look, I am just there to support the bride and the groom, and then I'm going to slide out of the picture. And John says, that's my role. You guys are trying to force me there. That's not what I'm about. But according to John's disciples, there was just, there was just one really big problem. He had amassed this huge group of people that were looking to him. They were hanging on his every word. They were waiting to see what he, they were going to tell him to do. And so you can imagine there was probably part of John's heart that thought, yeah, I'd like a little more respect. I'd like a little more attention. And his followers were, followers were feeling this for him. And so just imagine them saying things like, come on, John, you're a good man. You have worked hard to get to where you are. And whoever that other guy is, 
You started all this. You baptized him. He's standing on your shoulders. He owes you. He'd be nothing without you. Come on, John, don't, don't be hasty here. What would you do? What would you want to do? Well, apparently John the Baptist had a whole different perspective on this. I want you to pay close attention to what he says next. It's familiar, but what he says next is the key to helping all of us reshape the way that we pursue things in life. By the way, these are his last recorded words in the New Testament. They tell us everything we need to know about John and his life. Look at verse 30. He, you know, he is the other guy across the river, the guy whose star is rising, the guy that everybody else is going after. He, Jesus, must become greater and I must become less. Now, pay attention, must must, not maybe, maybe, maybe should. This is the way it's got to be. This is not optional. This is, this is required. And by the way, the verse before this, he says, I have joy. I'm not envious. I'm, I'm joyful to get to do this. We learn so much about John's character here. And I want you to think about this. At this point in John's life, he was in his early thirties. He was in the prime of his life. He was at the top of his game. He had influence and notoriety like you and I will never, ever know. And wouldn't it have been easier? And wouldn't it have seemed wiser for him to say something like, you know, you're right. You're right. He and I, we should combine forces. I've been looking for a good running mate. That's my guy right there. I'm going to go talk to him. Right? There's, there's some part of that seems wise, but John says, no, that's what pride would want us to think. Pride once says, you deserve a piece of this action. Your voice needs to be heard. But instead, you know what John does? He does something that nobody does. He gracefully bows out of the way so that Jesus can take center stage. And this is what we all need to pay attention to. This isn't just humility. This is freakish humility. This, is, this isn't normal. John the Baptist was so secure in his relationship with God and he had learned to trust God and, and God's bigger plan. And he knew that anything that you and I have, anything that we get passionate about, anything that matters to us, whether it is power or influence or career or status or possessions or family, anything, anything, it all comes from God first and it is all to be used to point people in the direction of Jesus. And so here's my question for you. Maybe you're wondering this too. Okay, so what's the point of the story? It would be easy for us to get up and leave and think, this, the point of the story is clearly I need to keep my humility in check. Being humble is a good thing. It is, but that's not the whole point. In fact, if that's what you think, you're gonna miss John's bigger point because here's the point that John wants us to catch. No matter what we do and say, in all things, all things means your career. All things means your, your home life. It means the way you spend your money. All things means the words that come out of your mouth, the desires of your heart. In all things, the goal is to make the name of Jesus greater, which means we must become less. That's the goal of this story. Not just to be humble, to make the, the name of Jesus greater, in all that we do. And so for all the rest of us, the best thing that any of us can do is to be just like John the Baptist and assume at, at best, you and I are groomsmen and bridesmaid at a wedding, at a very important wedding. And we say, nope, you pay attention to what the groom's doing. 
because the groom loves his bride. He's got a plan. I just want to fade into the distance. But can we be honest? Is that easy? Is it easy to know that the glory isn't for you or for me? Because if it's not, it means we won't always win. It, it means we probably shouldn't always post our opinion online or try to make our point. What it does mean is that instead of shouting, instead of yelling, instead of rebelling, we would probably be wise to seek to listen and to understand people on the other side. Now, I am not talking about compromising your convictions. And it's clear that people aren't always going to want to hear what you have to say. It doesn't mean that they're always going to agree with you. But making Jesus greater looks different than anything the world is modeling for us. And, and here's how you know if you're starting to get this. This is how I know if I'm starting to get this. Instead of becoming mad at the world, instead of shaking my fist at all the people that are different from me, our hearts will break. Instead of shouting with our voice, we're going to spend more time on our knees saying, God, we need you. Jesus, you must become greater. Would you use us as a church family and as individuals to make your name greater? Jesus, you must become greater. I must become less. Now, let me ask you a question. How are you doing? How are you doing at work when you know that you're, you've got the power and the authority and anybody that pushes up against you, guess what? You can squash them. Is Jesus greater? Are you becoming less? How's this in your neighborhood with the neighbor you can't stand? How's this at home with your family? Now, I, I want to make a confession to all of you, and this isn't fun, but I failed miserably at this at home this week, miserably. There were some things that happened a week ago in our personal life, nothing major, but just frustrating. And so that's the way the week started. And then just through meetings and all the conversations going on through the week, I could feel my anxiety rising. And, and can I be honest with you? I didn't want to talk about things. I didn't want to debate things. I just wanted what I wanted. Just do it. Don't ask me questions, just do it. Get out of my way. I don't, I don't want to deal with any of this stuff. And every time I opened up to work on this message, <laughs> he must become greater, I must become less. And I have prayed, I can't even tell you how many times this week, Jesus, would you help me? Would you get in the driver's seat so I can become less? And you know what I did right after I prayed it? I'll take that, Jesus. I'll, I'll, get, I'll, be, I'll get back in the driver's seat. It is a constant, it's been a continual prayer for me. And you know what he's told me to do? I had to go back and apologize to my wife and apologize to my kids. I had to check my attitude on some things because he must become greater and I must become less. And, and it's not just me, it's, it's all of us. This is what John modeled for us. It is an incredible example of humility. But Jesus is a greater example, example still. In, in, the, in his book to the Philippian church, the apostle Paul wrote this about Jesus. Jesus knew that he was in very nature God. But he did not consider equality with God something to hold on to. So he became a slave and he died in our place. So Jesus said, no, 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 the ways of God are better. In his humanity, he let go of his life to pay for ours. So that we can say, no matter what we do or say in all things, the goal is to make the name of Jesus greater because he has done things for us we cannot do for ourselves. He will return one day to this earth and everything will be right but in the meantime, this should be our mantra. This is what we're chasing after. Here's the funny thing that I've learned about humility this week. We can learn to practice being humble throughout our lives. We can practice humility or we can be humbled in the process of life. Neither of those things are fun. They're not easy. Both are painful. 
but one will ultimately glorify Jesus more than the other. And that's the name of the game, not being on top, but saying, Jesus, you must become greater, I must become less. And so for those of us that are followers of Jesus, I just want you to pray this simple prayer. Holy Spirit, will you bring this to life in my life? If you don't memorize any other verse this week, memorize this verse and pray through it. And let the Spirit convict you. Let him show you when you are, no, 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 no that's not for you. You're just, you're just a groomsman. You're just a bridesmaid. Point everybody to the groom. Let the Spirit guide you in this. But I want to take a moment and talk to my friends, maybe tuning in online or those of you in the room, that you've been investigating Jesus for a long time. You, you, you take notes and, and you like the idea of it. It makes you feel good, but you have not yet surrendered to him. Well, I want to challenge you to put this into practice in a really unique way today. I want, you, I want to challenge you to do something that the rest of us that are followers of Jesus have already done. Admit that you're a sinner. You have done many, many things like the rest of us to mess up your relationship with God. In the book of Romans, the apostle Paul says this, we have all sinned, we have all fallen short of God's glorious standard. Every one of us. And it's humbling to admit that. And, and, and Paul says, the wages of our sin is death, eternal separation from our heavenly father for all of eternity. But the gift of God is his grace that's expressed to us through Jesus's sacrifice on our behalf. So your first step of humility is to admit, I've messed it up. By the way, me too. Jesus said this. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one can be made right with their heavenly father unless they come to me. That's not a threat, it's a promise. And so if you do not know Jesus personally, I want to invite you to take that first step today and to come and know him. Drop us a comment in the comment section and let us know. We'll pray for you. We'll meet with you. If you're in the room, come talk to me. Talk to the person that brought you today. Take that first step of humility. You will be forgiven. You will be made right. And you can live with the rest of us and say, I just want to make the name of Jesus greater in all I do. It's humbling to admit you're a sinner, but it's the most life-giving decision you will ever make. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. I am so thankful that, that the gospel writer, John, captured this story for us. And in capturing this story for us, he's given us an example to follow. This story is really about John the Baptist, but the beauty of it, the thing that occurred to me this week is I, I want my life to be like John's. When people talk about me, what they would say is, oh gosh, he was all about Jesus. That's, that was John's final words. He must become greater, I must become less. Holy Spirit, would you grab a hold of us as a church family? Would you teach us to embrace this way of life so that the name of Jesus would become greater, we would become less, and people would be drawn to you? That is what you promised, Jesus. Lord, I pray for my friends that are tuning in or that are with us today that, that have not made that decision yet. Would you, Holy Spirit, would you guide them in admitting they're a sinner? Would you lead them in this decision of life that they would celebrate new life and forgiveness that can only be found in you. Jesus, we love you. Let your name be greater in all we do. It's in your name we pray. Amen.